0: What's up, strength coaches? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweekie, where we are making strength and conditioning not boring. And today we have Jason Weber. You got two PhDs on the show today, folks. All right, this is going to be a this is going to be a good one. Um, Jason, you are the CEO of Speedsig. What is Speedsig, and why is it something that our members need to know about?
1: Hey, Justin. Uh, first of all, thanks for thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, in a nutshell, with Speedsig, we take the single sensors, so the catapult units that um, guys are using in in sport, everything from uh, football to soccer, as you call it in the US, baseball, um, and we're able to run or develop, measure, running mechanics. So everything that we're talking about in the research, J.B. Moran's work, Peter Wayne, Aki Salo, all of that work, um, Ken Clark with his uh, thigh angular velocity, all of that work we're able to give feedback to coaches. And more than that, we do it at scale. So you can do multiple players at once. And when we start getting into it, and I'm sure we will part of understanding uh, your athletes is really understanding what, what genuine changes.
0: <clears throat> How are you guys able to do that then? Because that sounds awesome. Like you said, a lot of people are interested <clears throat> in thigh angular velocity and it's yep. a hot topic. How is it able to be done then?
1: So I guess this is part of where the PhD thing comes in is I spent um my PhD took because I was working full time and high performance manager in the AFL in Australia. And Gosh, my PhD good for you, man. took took yeah let's see, are we recording pictures here so people can see I've got no hair?
0: yeah uh, yeah, same.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a strength and conditioning thing, right? High testosterone. Anyway, um that's what I'm claiming anyway, man. Um <laughs> Yeah, like, mate, I spent a lot of time. Once I figured out, not figured out, once the problem became bad enough for me in my practice that we needed to have a way to quantify running, and when I say bad enough, I mean when I could see things happening, but the, the staff around me, and I had a lot of staff working for me at the time, you needed to have a way to communicate to them. So for, in that case, you're, uh, physiotherapists, which in the US, you know, your uh, physical trainers, your athletic trainers, your doctors who are often not there, they often push information back to the head senior coach. And so having a common language that we could all utilize. Now, you and I, we could stand on the field and we could un- we could talk about ground contact time and we could talk about thiangular velocity and all those things. But even you and I would have an opinion, excuse me, and an opinion's like standing around a water cooler and throwing information. Around. Like it's not much better than that. So I really wanted to find a way to measure it so that as a coach, I knew that like there was some feedback for me that am I – what I'm seeing? Am I actually seeing it? Because it's when you're coaching, and particularly in team sports, you know we had 50 players at a time on the field, and that's a lot of people. Now, you go to – I've got a lot of American college football teams you work with, and come spring – They've got 100 guys on the field. So trying to understand that is massive. So I guess the way, so number one was spend a lot of time understanding the sensors, how they work, and how to make really repeatable systems so that we could get our, let's call it our scientific method, right up as close as we can to the game. We don't measure in a game, but we we measure running on the field and we measure deceleration on the field. So it's as specific as we can get. But yeah, how we do it was based on a lot of study and a lot of, you know, reading all that work. You know, Ken Clark, I mentioned those authors, Peter Wayne, J.B. Moran. There's a ton of work out there that inspires the ability to go out and chase these, these sort of data points.
0: Anybody that's listening might be like, okay, can you help me out with running asymmetry then? Is that things that can be done too?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we look at left versus right limb. And that's obviously running asymmetry and asymmetry in general. You know, you're on independent force plates. Everyone wants to know like left versus right. So we always start with, we got three principles. We profile, we monitor, we communicate. So profiling is the most important thing in my mind because there's enough research out there that says people are going to be asymmetric. People are not always going to be balanced. People do things on one side. And the classic in recent, I was in the States only um, a month or two ago, and when you get into it and start talking to people and you get a wide receiver who runs predominantly off one side of the field. So his routes, let's say if he's on the right side of the field, are really right leg heavy because he's cutting away. So if that's what he does, who am I to say that he's right or wrong? He's developed that strength. So what we do is profile. So number one, understand what your athlete is. So before you go making a decision around what's you know, right or wrong with an athlete, understand what they are. Compare them to your population. So specifically, you want to compare them to similar player groups so you don't want to be comparing your tight ends to your wide receivers because they're different beasts, right? Very different beasts. Same in, in soccer or football. You know, you, um, your wing backs are very different to your centre backs because they're just faster, different running catch. Your centre backs are big dudes who want to create contact and beat people up. As much as you can foot soccer right
0: you can call it football our our American audience <laughs> I call it American football over here when I make posts, so yeah, it's football and American football. they can deal with it
1: cool, uh, it doesn't bother me man. I grew up with soccer, um <laughs> that's what we have in Australia. it's still a white ball, right um but yeah, you do you talk to the purists and you you'll um they'll start trying to kick you in the shins if you're saying uh, <laughs> if you call it if you call it soccer. Yeah. So, look, man, the thing for us, um, here's my opinion, right, is that I think as S&C coaches and sports scientists and wherever that blend is between the two, yeah. our industry has to keep getting better. Yep. I think my opinion was, I still is, of myself, I need to be better. I don't think at times, you know, you're measuring things. And I've been going since 1996, right? So I've been a long time in the gig.
0: anybody listening right now it's 2023 so give you some context
1: (laughs) yeah um and so we start measuring stuff and you want to know well actually am i measuring the right thing is this actually working um yes so part of that that journey and the phd was me really making myself accountable like am i doing the right thing i um i have a very strong view that our responsibility is to the athlete like we hold their careers in our hands and asking them to do pointless things or stupid things or whatever. Uh, And I'm not saying don't be creative, but we have a responsibility, okay? So in that respect, I wanted to be better. I wanted to offer my community, which is my strength and conditioning brothers, tools that we could use in practice that make us as a profession better. So when you're looking at a runner, and there are going to be coaches who are more experienced than others that can see, okay, there's that difference there. But he needs to communicate it to other people. And other people might be the head coach. It might be the medical staff. You know, you might say, look, like I, I, I did a, um, quite a high-profile Achilles tendon rupture recently in Australia. Now, I wasn't responsible for running the rehab, but I was, over, I was overarching looking at it, quantifying it with SpeedSig. And we were able to, there was actually the person running it was a physiotherapist. And he was doing a really good job and he got the strength back fantastic and was going great. But then he tried to push too fast with the speed. He tried to go too quick. And I already could see that his vertical and horizontal signals were just too, a lot too low. And I was simply able to say to him, hey, man, like you've got great strength. You've ticked that box. But that strength hasn't been able to come across into his running yet. So he has to assimilate that strength. He's got motor control that he needs to reorganize to get his strength going and deliver it on the field. You're not there yet. Don't push him. And he was okay because we had data in front of us. We slowed it down. I think it was like 12 days later, we got the signal back up, and he was off and going. So I think
0: – What's up, strength coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the cheeky midweekie, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members only form. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to
1: check us out. The journey for us with SpeedSig, and for me, has been about, it's quite utopian. I'm trying to be better for our profession. I want to be better. I've learned a lot, a lot. Now, you know, we, go on, man, you got a question?
0: No, nah, man, I just I'm roll. listening. You're good. Yeah, you keep me, going.
1: Put me up on a soapbox and I tick over and over. Too much coffee, man, like really. I think that contributes to the bald head somehow.
0: I mean, I'm a big coffee drinker too. So, th- so far, you're two for two.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, when and I probably lost the train, I thought I was going to go into there. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've got to strive to be better. There's actually in Australia this past week, the Australian Physiotherapy Association has come out sort of bad-mouthing our professional, what they call exercise uh, accredited, accredited exercise physiologists, which are our like I'm qualified as one of those as well, but it's the professional, like clinical type S&C guys. And I'm like, like, that's wrong. And if it is wrong, well, then we should do something about it. I'm not going to stand by and sook about it. Then I want to be better. So when we're out in the field um, and we're discussing running mechanics of a player rehabilitating, I want to understand it. When we're looking at a player who's um, fatigued, right, I want to understand that. When you get, you know, you get the subacutes, particularly in any contact sport, you know, basketball, anything where you get that VMO cork, and all of a sudden they're just not running right, right? And that then persists and they get another whack on it. So it's now two or three weeks they've been running a little bit weird. That's when you start end up with a calf tear or you end up with something silly. Otherwise, that wasn't the original injury. So again, I think it comes back for me to just trying to be better. I think there was a huge, huge gap for me in what we're measuring. I mean, I've been, I was lucky enough to be right at the forefront. One of the first teams when I was with uh, our national rugby team in the, I don't know, the early 2000s to get a full rack of GPS and and off and go. But you turn them on and you go, what do we do with these things? Now, 10, 15 years later, we're covering an immense amount of ground, but it's not enough. We can't stop with... What, right? What reps, what distance, you know, all that sort of thing. You need to talk about how. And you see the research, like the guys like you, Ken Clarks, are pushing that barrier along. And I, I love that work. I love it. But it drives me mad if there's no way for us to use it at scale.
0: You know, one of the things that I thought of as I'm hearing you talk about this is like, okay, is this a possible way for having a 1080, for lack of a, you know, uh, a yeah. uh, comparison like okay hey somebody can't afford a 1080 but they can get the same metrics by using speed sig are they able to get you know ground contact time flight time yeah. you said thigh angular yeah. velocity like um you know hop into the weeds more with it
1: yeah so we can definitely do those things we're actually releasing a new set of software in december which has thigh angular velocity it has split uh, which is the distance between your famous contact in front of the center of mass all those, all that stuff that's being talked about at the moment, we got, we got it all going on. Um, it's very different to a ten eighty in that a ten eighty has some other magnificent applications. I've not worked with a ten eighty, but
0: yeah, they, neither have I. That's why I was, yeah, I was wondering but, it, yeah, because you know, they're expensive. So they
1: have, yeah, no, they have some good things, but their ability to do resistance and all that sort of stuff gives it another dimension, right? But here's my thing: teams spend a fortune on on your GPS IMU units, whether it's from Catapult or Statsport or whomever, right? they spend a fortune. And I used to do the same thing. In my practice, I had to sign the, 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 you know, the annual check and you go. it wasn't my money, but you're still signing for it. <laughs> so so um, I always thought, well, you know, the sensors you got on board there, are we really using them all? So for whatever amount of money you're paying, you're probably using 50, 60% of its ability. Why don't we exhaust that? Drain that. Let's use all the senses. Let's figure out where else we can use them. And that's kind of been my pursuit the whole time. Like I always say, you know, you should have a running description of yourself, I reckon. And I'm a strength and conditioning coach that does science stuff, right? So I'm a coach first who went and did a PhD to answer the questions in my practice, S&C practice.
0: That's awesome to hear because... A lot of the times, like you said, I feel like people will get some technology without asking the question first. Like I saw it firsthand at my old school. They dropped like 50K on these three, Jeep, um, three motion capture devices that nobody ever used, and they weren't actually good. Like it literally was collecting dust. And the fact that you're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen with something that people spend a lot of money on. Bravo to you on that because you're right. You know, getting those those pieces of technology are not um, something to bat an eye at, especially for people that, for our American audience, are at a college where you know the budget is tight.
1: Yeah, and exactly. And I mean, I'll throw another piece to that. When you you you, you mention uh, motion capture, markless motion capture, and all that sort of stuff, like that's all great. And there's some real applications there. And I must say, like I've supervised one PhD in markless motion capture, so I kind of I know the tech really well, but when I said earlier, you know, you want to understand change. The way to understand change is to capture data regularly so you have a genuine profile of that individual. Then you can start to see what changes. When you capture data on three or four steps, you know, three or four steps is, can be borderline noise. And if you do it, let's say, once every eight to 10 weeks or six months, even worse, how do you know if it's changed or how do you know if the, the kids just decided on that day to do something weird? Who knows? So I think that piece for mine has always been about what, where can we get the, the data that gives us the best consistency and signal? What gives us the best ability to determine sensitivity to change, which is a critical element of what I wrote my PhD on.
0: anybody listening this far is gonna be like all right this guy clearly knows his stuff i mean you you were a high performance manager for a while um talk about you know your background a little bit to better educate everybody on you know how you got into this field like what was your genesis story into it because it's it's awesome to hear that you're a coach that does science stuff because i feel like the pendulum has swung too far right now
1: yeah yeah, and maybe we might write that one down in your notebook. We might come back to that point because I think it's very salient. Um, my journey, um, I was the, the athlete that was probably really good at high school and the further we went up the chain probably wasn't quite as good. Um, uh, probably more of a good athlete than I was a rugby player. Um, but in doing that, I met a coach along the way. Um, some of you may know if you're old enough, a guy by the name of Ian King. Um, now, some might, he's, he wrote a book that was very extensively uh, published. Um, and Ian was, was, a, was a different cat without question. But I remember sitting there as an athlete going, man, who are you? What do you do? Why are you, where did you come from? He's sitting there, he's going through all this test data, he's creating programs. He's, I'm like, wow, what, what is this? Anyway, fast forward, rugby career doesn't go too far. And it was all amateur in those days anyway. Um, But this university course starts at the University of New South Wales, sports science. Um, I was lucky enough to get in, um, took off from there. But it's been, to be honest, um, an absolute, I don't know, love affair. I'm entirely besotted by the idea of figuring out how to help our athletes. So that started. I did a bachelor's degree. No one at that time no one knew what you did, like, well, okay, you got this degree, what what the hell do you do? And this was back, that was, they're still saying it now, um, but that was 1989. Um, so I I went and did a master's degree straight after it, figuring, well, if I'm going to have a piece of paper, I might as well have a big one than everybody else.
0: Right. Um, <laughs>
1: um, so I did that, and then I promptly handed in my thesis and walked the earth for a couple of years. So I went and Went to your neck of the woods. I drove across the US twice, worked in Canada on ski patrol, did all that stuff, um, and then came back to Australia when rugby went pro. And so I had some buddies working around that. And like everybody, I I came in at the development level, worked with the young ones, worked my way up, ended up – so we have super rugby in Australia. So I worked in that for uh, two two different teams for about 100 games, which is a couple of years. Then – Did the national team for two World Cups, uh, the Rugby World Cup, having just finished uh, recently. Um, Then I moved out from there. I was looking at the American model of private facilities and how that worked. And I really had a look at the D1 uh, environment and tried to do that in Australia, but it didn't quite work. And the financial crisis 2008 hit. So I got an offer to go into the AFL. So I went to the AFL as a high performance manager. So that means I ran, I had um, three S and C coaches, three physios, a couple of docs, mass all the whole the whole thing. So I ran that out until um, 2020, till the COVID thing and that that uh, you know, the budgeting and all that. We uh, my contract finished, so I finished up then. And but the the aim always was if. What I was trying to do in my head with Speed SIG made sense. <clears throat> so the first caveat was, does it make sense to me? Then does it make sense to a supervisor? And then does it make sense to my staff? Yeah. So then we started to branch out and said, well, maybe this is a business. And it it's taken a number of years. Like we've only been commercial since February. But we've had a lot of years of asking the question of people, like, you've got this, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And the feedback has been pretty clear that it works. It detects what we, you know, what we're seeing on the field. um, And it's helping people make good decisions. So that's been the story.
0: Anybody listening right now, I mean, shout out to the homies, TK, Zach, and uh, Devin, because I mean, they're, they're people that are using um, it and, and they're also coaches that do science stuff too. Um, so yeah, if you're, you know, you're interested in that, obviously check out their, their speed sig Instagram. And they, they've talked about the different people that they're working with within the States. One of the things that you just said that really resonated with me was talking about being that high performance manager. I feel like that's something that's completely bastardized over here in America and in the States. If you think that I'm wrong, please tell me, but like, talk to me about what it really is and how my impression Mm -hmm. of it in the States is just completely wrong.
1: No, you listen, Justin. It's I think it's a um, a friend of mine would say it's a movable feast. It's a it's a different thing to different people.
0: Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button, so that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button, and with that, let's get back to the show.
1: Um, I'll, I'll tell you my quick spin on it though. So the way I always saw my environment was, I saw it like a teaching hospital. So the idea was, yep, I'm top of the tree, I get it, but you don't get you don't just earn the badge, right? You've got to help people, and the way you lead is by showing people the light in the dark, right? How do you how do you bring light into the dark and help people direct them? So I always spent a lot of time helping my staff develop, and in doing so that helps me develop because I'm seeing different things when you hear things coming out of your mouth, what you're saying, you get a great feedback loop. Did that make sense, what I just said? You know, keep rechecking yourself, recheck, recheck. And everything, oh, i got this stupid thing I used to always talk about, like with, the, you know, The Terminator? You know when Arnie yeah. walks into the biker bar? Yeah. You know that movie? Yeah. You know when he walks into the biker bar and he's nude? Well, I used to do that at work. I'd come in nude and, no, sorry, that's a lie. <laughs> I didn't do that. But you know when he walks in nude and you see his eyes and from his view, his point of view, you can see all the data coming down and he's checking everything out. So he's constantly evaluating everything. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to constantly evaluate patterns. Now, as a high-performance manager, you're going to evaluate those patterns in your staff. So what are they good at? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? How do I bring people together? How do I put 10 people and get them on the same direction? All right. so trying to pick those people. Um, I was very, very fortunate uh, within the, the AFL structure I worked in. I was given really good leeway to get some great people. I've had staff there that are now firmly friends. I've got three of my SNC coaches i um, have all gone on to well two of them have gone on to high performance manager roles themselves and the next one the last one is the youngest one, he'll go through soon. So we were a- we we're able to bring together a really strong group of people. So I think my view of it is to run a to run a team from that high performance perspective, you need to be able to understand the shoes other people are walking in so i need yes. to understand physio yes. i need to understand so with a physio right so i had a lot of trouble in my first year with this very senior physio who's about seven or eight years older than me but i used to go into the practice and i'd show him i'd actually learn i know a lot about physio i know a lot about hands i've worked with a lot of track and field guys so you know very much the dan faff um Dare I say it, uh, the Charlie Francis kind of idea. Like Charlie Francis was a magnificent masseur, like with his athletes. He he understood muscle tone, um, and I learnt a lot. I don't man, I never met the man Charlie Francis. So I wish I had, you know, um, rest in peace. But um, man was a, sounded like a genius to me, and I I learnt a lot off him. Our, some of the first rugby tours I went on as a kid when I was like in the nineties. It was me and the physio, so I had this great physio. Back in the day, a lady named Linda Bennett's, she taught me how to do a lot of the, a lot of practical stuff. So I would do the preliminary physio, hand them over to her. She'd do the specialist stuff, and we just churn all the dudes through when you're away on tour. So having that shared experience though means when I talk to an AT or a PT, and when I did it in the states recently, some of them were shocked at what I understand because you've got if you're going to lead, you need to understand that person's job. You can't just do it because. I'm the biggest dude in the room, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter that I am, but um, you've got to be be able to walk a mile in their shoe and understand them. Not, I can't do their job, mate. I'm not a physio, I'm not an AT, but I understand their role. So I had a discussion this morning. So we're talking to a kid who plays rugby here. He's a very very um, great, good young athlete. So he runs a runs a ten three two hundred. So he's sharp, man, real sharp. Uh, about 70, oh, he's probably eighty kilos now. Um, big squat, two-handed dunk, standing under the ring like the whole bit. Anyway, so he's had four hamstrings this year. So I'm talking to this young staff this morning because he's only a young guy. So the way it works in Australia, this guy's with some young staff. But what we did was sit round. Um, we looked at the, we looked at some video. We looked at the speed sig data. I presented my piece. We had some MRI data there and you bring it together. But the physio is comfortable to speak openly with me about the cross-sectional area of a biceps fem on MRI. Like I know exactly what that is. I actually, yeah, you can quantify that quite comfortably. Now, if you don't breed that confidence in people as a leader, then they separate because people who are not confident will hold their cards close to their chest. They'll be protected. They'll go, this is my domain, you know, back off when people understand you're not trying to take their turf, you're trying to help them work together, that's what I think the high-performance model should be, in my view. It's not the way it is everywhere, and it's not the way everybody runs it. And I will tell you in the US, from what I've seen, there is everything from the worst possible, which is everybody working in silos and nobody speaks, to I've seen very excellent. On the other side, like you mentioned TK, TK, Um, and and the crew down at um, University of South Florida, I was super impressed. So to go into a room with a senior S&C coach, a physical therapist, a rehab speed specialist, and to be be able to have a really strong conversation about what the program does, who works on what, how we work together, it was cool. So I I don't think America's got it wrong in any shape of the word. I think there are pockets that are doing it better than others. But I think the key is understanding that I don't think, well, no, I don't think, I, I know you can't be a sole specialist in one area and try and guide other people. A good leader should be able to understand all these troops and, and see where they fit.
0: <clears throat> is it something truly just as simple as making sure that you have subdued your own ego or is there some other magic trick to it?
1: No, no, I don't think there's magic. I think you're dead right. I think there's a piece. Um, like I used to always say as a manager, I, I, was, I was an incredibly in, inclusive dictator. So what that means is I like that. that what we would do, I would always say, my door's always open. We're always going to discuss every issue. But if we get to an impasse and I've got three people saying one thing and three people saying another, I will decide. And when i decide we're going to go that way but you have to understand i've given everybody a chance i'll tell you why i'm going that way but we have to be on board and when we're together we can argue in a private private room but in front of players we never argue and if you need to bring up a point and you're not happy with what i'm doing that's cool but come and tell me when you ask to come into the office and we'll talk so yeah, you, you've, as a leader, you still have to at times make a decision and say, we're going this way, we're going A, not B, and that's it. And that's the responsibility of a leader. But I think to bring people together is the number one thing. I think you see whenever, um, you know, you, you I, I've, I've been lucky enough to work around uh, the ta- tactical space a fair bit. And when you see the real good SF operators, how tight they are as brothers. It's because of shared experience, right? They've gone out and done, you talk about buds. They go and line the surf and get beaten up. The Delta boys run around the Appalachian Mountains, the SAS guys over here run around the desert. They've done this thing together. And you and I have had an experience that's so unbelievable. That's why they're so tight. We're never gonna have that experience, but I think when you're in pro sport, it's so, so intense. It is a big experience. And when you get to go out to a stadium, like, you know, college football's got 100,000 people. You go to Virginia. um, Yeah, i got an LSU hat
0: on right now. I mean, Death Valley, that place is like fucking rocking. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you go out to 100,000 people, man, I used to have a coach who used to always say, when you go down the race, you go down the tunnel, you want to know that the guy beside you has got your back. And the players need that, but the staff need that. You want to have each other's back a hundred percent. And that's if you've got animosity on the strength coach and you just do the physio, it it takes everybody. It takes it, you know, takes a village.
0: Well, here's my question then to you, because I feel like a lot of the times over here in the States, and maybe it is over there too, but a lot of the times, maybe that high performance manager might be an athletic trainer simply because they have a license versus strength and conditioning coaches just have a certification. Now, if you're not the, That's an interesting one. Go ahead, then, then dive with that. Because it's, it's like, how do you handle the dynamics if you are the strength coach and you have to be subdued to the AT, but then how do you also handle it if you're the high performance manager as the strength coach, and yeah. now you have to tell an AT kind of what to do for lack of a better term?
1: Yeah, yeah. So number one, when you look at licensing, licensing has to do with the fact that they do needling, they put needles in, they manipulate necks, they do all that sort of stuff. We don't touch them, right? I don't need to be licensed. I'm not poking them with a needle. I'm not doing anything like that. That's one of the arguments that came up in Australia just this past week, right? Okay. Why don't we have a, a license? Well, I don't do, I don't invade their human space. I might get okay. in their face periodically, but I don't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that, no, yeah, that makes sense. Do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we don't do invasive. I'm not moving them around. I'm not manipulating joints, But- so when you look at most S&C coaches now, mate, there aren't many that aren't running around with a, at least an undergrad, decent undergrad degree, and then they've gone and got other qualifications. And I'll be, I've written about this before, and I'm clear, mate. S&C coaches are not made at university. S&C coaches are made on the field, in the gym. That's where you learn your trade. You learn off somebody, another coach. I learned nothing about S&C at university. I've done three degrees, right? Nothing. But the underlying science and all that stuff, I got 100%. That's why we should do undergrad degrees. But all the S&C stuff that you've got to learn, and I would even argue for the fundamental qualifications, most guys are well past that. Most guys are well past that. They've got great knowledge. The fact that it's not... Necessarily recognized. I mean, in Australia, the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association are doing a good job at having more levels, right? So people are, they don't just get one, they can, they go up in rank, so to speak. So I think it comes to, I think there's a mute point there between, well, I've got a license and you don't. Well, stick it up your butt. But I think, I think it comes back to then that humility piece. Don't try to rock people over, try to understand. This is where I'm coming from, where you come from. I really believe that if you can understand someone else's job um, and what they do and how they feel about things and what they understand, I'd even go down to the fact that I understand there's three main physiotherapy schools in Australia. They're all quite different. So I understand when if I find out one of my staff is from one school, that's a different perspective. Like University of WA is very different to the University of South Australia, and there are nuances to that. So it's Sun Tzu, the art of war, man. Know thy enemy, know thyself. Win a thousand battles.
0: <clears throat> That's a fantastic point. And how did you, you know, continue to learn and have that different growth mindset of you? Because there might be a lot of young strength coaches listening to this right now that are like, okay, how can I harness that? How can I learn that mindset? Because I do ultimately want that role that he's talking
1: about. Yeah, yeah. So I think, number one, I always would say to young s coaches, Go into the the medical practice. If you need to ask, like a dojo, right? Ask to go in appropriately. But say, man, can I come in and just watch what you do?
0: What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in person or remote. Using TeamBuilder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So if you're interested in team builder, click the link down below and find out more information. Let's get back to the show.
1: We've got Deshaun, whatever his name is, Smith over here. He's one of our best wide receivers. He's had this hamstring. So can you just explain to me exactly what you're doing? In the early days, you'll get you'll get the the PTs and that, they'll they'll talk at you, but you start to learn and you build up that repertoire when you're a young one, right? And it's easier when you're young. Do it early. Learn learn radiology. Learn to read MRIs. Learn to understand what they look like. Learn medical terminology, right? So that you speak their language, right? One of the, the common components of um, what they call neuro-linguistic programming, and it's, it's, it's the art of influencing people, right, is is learn their language. Don't speak to somebody else with your language, this is the same as trying to um, handle head coaches. And I'm not going to say I've always done it brilliantly because I haven't. Me neither.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But use their language. Don't use yours. Right? Try try to bring, try to let them feel comfortable and make them comfortable by using their language. And I'll tell you another one. While we, while we think, while we hear, this is a, a silly one. But you get S C coaches are big dudes generally, more or not. Don't stand over an AT. When you when you speak to them, sit down. Small things, right? Make them feel comfortable. Don't intimidate, right? Not everybody has a strong is really confident in what they do. A lot of it. Everybody, you know, fake it till you make it. Everyone does it, right? And when you when you're confronted, when you're a smaller guy. Um, or even a female and you're confronted with a big dude who's got no hair and a big beard, <laughs> which we all seem to do because we're all pumped with testosterone, is um, yeah, don't intimidate him. Open up, relax. Good body language. You know if you're a big dude, sit down. I always when I get in arguments with people like that, sit down. I'm six foot four, right? So I'm a fairly tall dude. Sit down because you don't want to intimidate. And then when you stand up, then people know they are fucked.
0: (laughs) That's an interesting point that you say, because again, those are things that um, are not taught in university, right? Like that's shameless plug again. That's why we have the fundamentals course. That's why we have our um, video library to educate coaches on that. Like, because those little things do matter because you are, you're working with people, right? And that's something 100%. that I've said. And, and, and as just, just even just as a purest strength and conditioning coach, you work with people. You don't work with barbells and dumbbells. You work with human beings and athletes, and they're going to work harder with you when you actually care about them. Why would the same not apply with a team of people, physio, AT, doc, your uh, sports scientist, your nutritionist? Like, why would you not think the same exact thing applies when you're with them?
1: Yeah. Uh, my- you, you're speaking my language 100% I think even the mere fact like you, you describe your courses the courses like you guys run are invaluable because they're they're in the trenches right they're the real the real the real stuff right if you don't if you're not afforded the opportunity to get a good mentor it's going to be courses like that that allow you to develop you know trench like skills like the front line type stuff but um, your point about you know, looking after your athletes, being a person, be the same to your staff. And, I mean, it, it comes back. I'm not an overly religious man, but, um, yeah, do unto others. Like, I, I try to do the same thing. I hate being spoken to disrespectfully. It actually sets me off massively. So why would I speak disrespectfully to someone else unless I was really trying to piss them off? And that's not a great place to be, you know. So I think I think you've nailed it, mate. Good interview. You're doing well, Justin.
0: <laughs> Appreciate it. Let's get back to what you had said before about, you know, what does it mean to be a coach that does science stuff? Because now, you know, it's interesting that two PhDs and a guy that is a CEO of a tech, you know, company organization were over here saying, make sure you're a coach that does science things. There's just so many science and technology options for coaches nowadays how do you advise coaches to still be a coach and not do the dumb thing like I mentioned at my old school where an administrator purchased something that is bad technology because it was a shiny object? Like how do you avoid shiny yeah, object syndrome?
1: The the machine that goes Bing. Um, yeah, Monty Python. Listen, <laughs> I, I think um, – I, I guess to put context to it, and this doesn't really happen until you get a bit older, but I'm a big believer in – um, self-reflection and and really having to think about what you're doing and and uh, like I said like the, the Terminator thing I'm constantly reviewing um, what I do. So for instance, I used to have people come and visit my facility, like you know, coaches come and visit. Yeah. And I'd show them, I'd show them everything, right? And then I'd drill them hard and be going like, "What do you think of that?" And what you know, I want you to review it. Tell me hard. What do you think? What do you think? So I think it's the same thing is trying to Define what you are. So I wanted to be a coach. I still want to be a coach. I still coach high school now, I, I, and I think that in itself is a massive thing. I, I've set, felt so much more uh, uh, fulfillment. I suppose is the word. Coaching kids in the last couple of years and damaged kids at times, a lot of rehab, um, and getting them to play, you know, their senior year of football at school, and that's the best football I ever play. Doesn't matter. They've had a cracking year, and that's it. Then you get a couple that go on with it, but that's and that's fine. But I think when you say that, that's the science and coaching balance. So number one is the inquisitive mind. So yep, I became a coach and I tried to learn. And like lots of coaches, mate, people go out and read. Dudes go and buy books. You see it on people tweet it all the time. Buy this book, buy that book. Cool, you're reading that work. But it's also not a bad idea. To learn some other stuff, so well when we start talking about what real difference is, it's not a bad idea to understand a little bit of the maths, the statistics about what we're doing, so that we we're not kidding ourselves, because you can bullshit yourself, and if you get go up the chain and there's no one above you to say hey you're bullshitting, you know. So I think you've got to have a hard a hard barometer on yourself, um, which is why. I chose the path of doing a PhD to make this product SpeedSig because I didn't want to just flip something out. I wanted it to be well-respected and well-regarded and it to be legit. I don't want to be, I'm not, going to, I'm not out there to peddle rubbish. I'm trying to legitimately make my, my group, my crew, my profession, my community better. I'm trying to help them be better. I think I need to be better. Like I told you at the beginning, on the front of the queue that needs to be better
0: how can speed sig help out and i'm thinking like the physio athletic trainers and any of the athletic trainers that are actually good at understanding running mechanics this is not directed at you but there are a majority of ats and physios that. Yes, they're the ones that might be in charge of doing the rehab because, like you said, they have the medical licensing, but they don't understand sprint mechanics as well uh, as a track as a strength coach does. Right. How can this teach them and still help them, and maybe even some of the the novice strength coaches that don't understand, like how can they utilize this slash be able to learn proper running mechanics?
1: So what what we're planning to do is build some online education tools around it that people can utilize to build a framework. Now, the way I built SpeedSig was around the um, the metrics that are out there, like just, for instance, ground contact time. We've got ground, we have flight time, we've got um, stride length, stride frequency, all that, like they're, they're terminologies that are widely accepted, all right? So we want to use those. The problem is we learn about them in, uni- in university, we hear them and we read a book and we pass a test, but you don't actually know what happens. You know? So when you look at, like um, a classic one is Aki wrote a magnificent paper about the modulation of stride length and stride frequency, yep. right? And how they, how they vary between individuals. Well, it would be quite challenging for a lot of people to be told, fourth chapter of my PhD was about classification. So different people run differently. I've got wide, I've seen wide receivers. I've got the data. Wide receivers that are big heel strike athletes, but they move. I'm not saying they're, they're never going to be like an Olympic athlete probably, but for their job, for what they do, they move great and they get picked and they play. But their way of generating speed is a little bit different to others. Mate, Stu McMillan talks about it all the time, pushes and pullers right? There's different types of running. Now, when you look at a singular population, which is, let's say track and field, hundred meter running, they're all going to be more homogenous. They're all yeah. going to be more the same. So that's how I use big science words. Right there.
0: <laughs> <You> gotta, <laughs> to, 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 we got to use those big it. pieces of paper sometimes, right? <laughs> I've, got,
1: I've got all the, I've got my key words written in front of me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So you look at a homogenous population, they're going to kind of all be the same, but when you look at a population like a football community, where you've got a wide receiver, you've got a running back. Now you can have two types of running back. You can have yeah. A I was going to say
0: that you might have your scat back, you might have your slot receiver, yeah, yeah, yeah. your deep threat, right? Like even differences check, check, within check. tight end. Like you're going to have oh, yeah. profiles within football. And then hearing you say that makes me think like, okay, baseball players, you're going to have your baseball players that have their certain profile, whether they're a speedster, yeah.
1: right? And they've said baseball players have got to rip around the around the diamond. So you want to understand, and I, and this is my, I don't know if you want to call it my thesis, is if we profile first, so before you make a decision about what a kid is, let's get a picture, let's get him tell you, or she tell you what they are. Don't enforce my perspective on them. Now, you may then decide that yes, we know that things like, um, you know the old the the um the attack from the top. Like we want to hit that ground. We want higher foot velocity approaching the ground. I will tell you from my work and the data I've got, and we're working on about I don't know. I think we're about forty thousand samples at the moment. So when we run modeling, it's there's a fair bit there. But that attack from the top, I think, is one hundred percent right. I, our data concurs completely, and the kids that are coming faster to the ground move quicker. When you have kids with a hamstring injury or um, say an ACL, and they've had a hamstring graft. They lose that attack on the ground. It changes their ground contact time. It changes. They get more braking profile. So this doesn't answer your question about learning running mechanics. But what does the, the easier way to learn mechanics is to start talking about it in context and start seeing. Well, that's what that runner is. Here's some numbers around it. This is how they differ. This is how athlete A differs to athlete B. And then for an strength coach to say, well, if we've got a puller, we've got a kid who's a little bit longer on the ground. Taking
0: a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, Hawkin Dynamics. Hawkin Dynamics builds and designs software and hardware for coaches, athletic trainers, sports scientists, and everybody in the high performance department. Most notably, their use of their force plates with the ease of transportation and ease of use. Not only did I use them when I was at Towson, but I've used them when I've moved back here to Iowa with Tucker at Goldfinch. So. Check out Hawking Dynamics in the link down below. Now let's get back to the show.
1: So he's got a little bit more ground contact time. His center of mass is going to drop a little bit more. He's trying to pull. He's got to pull across the earth hard, horizontally. So his his posterior hip strength needs to be stronger. Particularly, like I've seen that, um, I one of my, um, I guess my pitch, so to speak, I do three case studies. And I've got a kid, a wide receiver, who's exactly that blew a hamstring out, proximal hamstring tendon, running a 200-meter, you know, in track and field at high school,
0: uh-huh.
1: right-hand hamstring, comes into football, and the, the team's saying, well, the kid's not injured technically, but yeah. we're really concerned about injury prevention. So we, we modelled him, we had a look, and we said, well, his ground contact time's quite massive, but that's how he does it. But the difference was he wasn't as strong as he – he was only just on average for the group in posterior hip strength. He got his posterior hip strength up above the group. His contact times improved. He was able to tack the ground a bit more. Yeah, they improved, but he still played fast. Kid never, you know, he didn't get injured again. I don't think he was a brilliant player, but our objective as coaches is not necessarily to always create the the NFL superstar. We got to get the kids that come to us, we got to get them on the park, right? That's our responsibility.
0: That's Our a
1: good point. to the player.
0: <clears throat> and you talked about the pushers and pullers, but talk to the listeners out there about like, what about your vertical or horizontal emphasis or, you know, your over under rotators? Like how, how can that get improved as well?
1: Yeah, well, what we see without, so we have, um, we created, part of my PhD was looking at the sensor waveforms and how we could equate that to a force plate. So we have three surrogate representations of force. I say surrogate because I'm not measuring force, but I'm measuring the change, our, the change in pattern in our in our data is the same as the change in pattern you would expect on a force plate. So we're seeing a change because that's the body's centre of mass moving, right? So we're able to acquire. That was, I did that in my PhD. Now, that signal really does give us an emphasis on, well, who's pulling on the ground hard? Who's pushing vertically? So we can see the kids who go, predominantly up, um, and equally because one of our particular nuances is we place the the, the uh, catapult units on the lumbar spine with a custom-made belt, and because you're at the centre of mass, we actually get a lateral signal. So we get a real strong signal on hip lock, all right? So how hip lock – so when you um, – you can see the strong kids have got a great hip lock, and you get a kid coming off a um, – Uh, like a Liz Frank fracture, a foot fracture, or syndesmosis, that stuff, where they've been on crutches for a while, you see that hip lock just flatten out. So in terms of the under and over rotators, they're always going to be related to stride length. So I've got my big hamstring we're dealing with at the moment is a kid who's in anterior rotation, he's big arch in the back, and he's spinning out the back. And there are some other ways to look at... um, at the point at which the mass of your recovery leg, where that sits as your body weight transfers across foot across the foot is is an interesting concept We're we're doing some work on that. Um, at this point, I usually break out a whiteboard and we, we draw some pictures. <laughs> Mate, I, I love a whiteboard and colored pens. Like, they're everywhere.
0: Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I got a big old whiteboard right behind me in the uh, office, you know, like I need it. It's right up on the wall. Yeah. I, I don't know how big it is, but I mean, it's big enough. It gets the job done, right?
1: yeah yeah but that's but this is the thing like so if we can branch for a second back to your the question about being a high performance manager one of the best places i ever found was the whiteboard let's get on the whiteboard and draw some shit you're not sure let's draw this is what it looks like this is what i'm this is what i'm seeing are you seeing this and show them educate engage work together don't talk at people you know engage them here grab a pen you show me what you're doing what are you seeing and they buy in, right? And it's the same as an athlete. You, you know how to work them and get them in with you. Um, so anyway, that's just winding back to that other subject. But as far as, um, you know, SpeedSig as a whole, the, the aim is to try and, try and get the lab as close to the field as we can. Now, I'm not going to say we compete with a lab. We're never going to because a lab's gold standard, right? But if you can only use gold standard, like, once a year, ever, because mm. I never... Then how I've gold is it
0: really if that's all yeah, you can Yeah, that's use right. It, it's not right?
1: usable. So getting... getting and, and our data is valid. Our data is reliable. We've we published... Um, we've just been... We've done uh, JSCR. Um, literally, I got an email last night saying it's good to go. So hopefully that will be online any day now. It's all edited and good to go. But the point of that is we, we need to have solid data regularly and then we can, de- and we can detect change, right? So are we going to be as good? when We're never going to be as good as the sort of work that JB and, and and Peter Wayne and all those guys, but we can't be because we're not in labs and we're on the field and we need to be on the field all the time. And one one of the key things, and this is sort of a thing you were hinting on before, I felt was that part of what I want to do with SpeedSig is make that. Make the coach's job easier, right? So make the data process as fast as possible. You know what I hate? I hate going up to the coach and saying, hey, we're not training today. We're going to do testing. No training today. Oh, man. You're nodding your head like, you know, Yeah,
0: well, that, I'm nodding my head because it's not even just the coach, the sport coach, it's strength coaches. It's a waste of a fucking session. Like testing should be training. It should be a seamless thing, not this massive day, because just like you said, let's say let's give the kid the benefit of the doubt. What if Johnny or Jill had a massive test, couldn't sleep, and that's why they didn't perform well on test day or the boyfriend or girlfriend didn't do like, like there's so many other stressors that occur in their life to make it one test day as the fucking Holy grail. Like it just drives me up the fucking wall. Like you hit a court.
1: So, so let's say, let's say we counter to that. Let's say we go, well, okay. And this is me pumping speed stick, but this is what we do. So we can go from the top mount, from the thoracic mount. You can put a hundred guys on the line, two lines of 50, if you want. And you go, we're going to run 40 yards full clip. That's our test. But we're going to do it twice today. We're gonna do it twice next week, we're gonna do it twice a week after, and we're gonna have, then we have three data points on everybody. So if someone has a test and has a bad day, you start to understand what real is. But because it's up on that thoracic mount, you pull that stuff through the API a process like that. The athletes don't even need to know. The coach doesn't even need to know. It's just warm up, it's the end of warm up. We're gonna do 240s, that's it. But I, what you just you just said, which I love, training is testing, testing is training which is where you know you, you know the um, gym aware perch all that that stuff i think that stuff's great because it's giving you a quality of measurement to our movement. so when we talk about intent on the bar right being able to say the intent on your bar so the bar goes from like i don't know whatever you're doing you you might have a, a squat that's going 0.6 0.65 and then you jack it with the same weight up to 0.85 point not like now you're humming. You've put more work on that bar. So the weight hasn't changed, but the intensity has because the work output is now greater. So I think I agree with you completely, man. So to understand, and you know, the one that here's one that gives me massively is when you, you go out and say, listen, guys, we've only, we're just going to touch some speed, right? We need to get you out of the blocks. We need to practice. You know, you might be in a late preseason module, right? So you You're still doing some speed work. You're still keeping volumes. And you say, right, we're going to do 320s. That's it. But I need them to be quality, right? I need 95% plus. Everyone's feeling good. We've done a great warm-up. Then they go out and because you've got 50 guys, you don't see it all. But then you've got the data. We go back. We run it through the API. Bang, done. You can pick it up straight away who's missing out. Whereas if if you didn't quantify them, you just did it, You wouldn't know, and you miss. And I've got – I had a coach last year, a pro rugby coach, say to me, yeah, man, like, you've shown me that half my guys aren't actually having a go because we do it – because we have to rush to get it in. We've got 20, 30 guys on the line. You don't get to see everybody. Mate, I'm not that good. No,
0: and – but how do you handle, how would you handle the thought process? Because this is something that I had a difficult time with when um, they bought that motion capture. They're like, oh, well, you know, will somebody will do it for you. And then you can just interpret the data. And it's like, okay, but if I didn't see the rep and then I'm getting the data afterwards, I guess it's almost like when you have your GPS unit, you're not watching everything at practice. You just download the data. You have your, you know, the key variables that you're looking at. So it's, it is better than nothing. I think I just answered my own question in a roundabout way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but look, all right, so let's, you make it, you bring a great point, Justin, right? So let's put framework to it. So my philosophy would always be watch the rep, then get the data to confirm or deny what you saw. But it's not possible. Scalability is not possible. When you've got 50 dudes on the track, you try to, you try to keep an item, you try to screen across see as much as you can you get your staff to spread out you've got those 10 I've got these 10 still 10 guys you still miss it so i think i think there's still that that data piece is still ideal it gives you the ability to quantify what's gone on and i and i would say again if you you want to bring back that high performance piece, i used to always talk to my staff about trying to hit people with a sniper rifle not a shotgun All right you've got 50 guys so if i've got data telling me 40 of my guys ran really well and 10 didn't, then I'm going to pay attention to those 10 when we get our next exposure and say a little tap on the shoulder, hey, last ones were pretty bad, lift your game, let's go, and, you you know, however you're going to handle that. But that's what data should do. It should allow you to, as a performance manager, to put your resources into those that need it. All right, real quick philosophy, human, human systems and data systems. Data systems give you information, but so do human systems. Human systems feedback how someone's behaving, how they're speaking, and you use the two of them to put your resources in the right spot.
0: Anybody that's listening and they heard you say, you know, lumbar and thoracic, what would be the difference and why would they have to choose?
1: Cool. So the choice is made for you fundamentally by me. Um, when we're doing the heavy biomechanics, when we're doing the – Ground contact, the thigh angular velocity, all that stuff. We want the unit down in the lumbar spine because it's right near the body center of mass, so we can do more calculations. When it's at the top on the thoracic mount, there's just too much noise, so we don't get as good a signal. Our reliability is not as good, um, so we use the lumbar mount. So we put it there to do the most uh, the most detail of our analysis. But for other things like force velocity profiling, like um, deceleration profiling. We can do that from the top because we're utilizing velocity. In the near future, when we're doing more um, step mechanics around decel and axle, which we've kind of got again up on my board here, then we'll use lumber again because the lumber just gives us more detail.
0: So, this also will help you out not only with linear running, but change in direction, you know, braking forces and all of that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, with deceleration, you, if your listeners will know, if you want to have a look up um, a guy by the name of Damien Harp has done a lot of work in D yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, so we use a lot of his stuff, but we've also developed a, basically a like a the opposite of a force velocity profile. We do it in deceleration so you can see where the peak um, horizontal um, forces are developed and you want them as close to the top velocity as possible. So, you you guys are braking as hard as possible early, not late, because then it just becomes slower. And, and when uh Damien Harper talks about his early phase deceleration, which is how fast can you get or how quickly can you get from your maximum velocity to 50%. So how fast can you bleed 50% off? You want that to be as quick as possible. Because under 50% for most people, you're going to be in a controlled position where you can make the next move, right? If it takes too long to get from top gas down, then you, you might miss a play by or miss a defensive move by a, you know, a meter.
0: No, that's all fantastically interesting stuff. Is there anything that we didn't uh, discuss that you're like, you know what? I really wanted to make sure that we we harped on this point or, you know, had this discussion.
1: Look, man, I think we've really covered a lot of it. Um, there's always more. I mean, there's there's I think you've, you've been as an interviewer, I'll give you a review. Um, I think you've done great, like covered a lot of subjects and a lot of things are able to interweave. Because what we do as a professional does weave across a number of areas, right? It's interpersonal, right? You've got to know some mechanics to understand force production. You've got to understand, uh, we put them on the ground. We need to understand biomechanics of locomotion. So there's a lot there. So I think we've covered a lot of it. And I think if I was to leave, um, like probably one thought, like speed sig is not meant to be the panacea. Uh, It's not the solution to everything. What it is is that last piece of information that we don't currently have. We have a lot of other information. I mentioned everything before, you know, you've got Nord boards, force plates, perch, gym aware. Like I love all that stuff great, but it gets us to the field and then that's it. We go on the field and it's kind of nothing else. So SpeedSig fills that gap and it fills that gap so that we can understand what our people are doing in all of those three phases, right? performance, injury prevention, rehabilitation. Um, I do take your point that I think the education thing is a big thing. When you talked about people before like, you know, um, TK, Zach Higginbotham, over and Cal, Devon, they're all guys that really understand running. And so when I came and spoke to them, it was like, yeah, right, let's let's go, let's go. I have met others who it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a tougher journey, which is okay. That's not a problem. But I think... We've got to keep, again, if I can leave, leave your uh, listeners with that thought that we've just got to be better. We've got to keep improving ourselves as a profession. Teach, teach the young ones, teach them well, pay it forward because someone taught you. That's something I always think. I, I was very lucky to have, you know, some very, very good mentors and, you know, to be disrespectful to them for me not to teach going forward.
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: I do, I, do, I do this podcast with a buddy of mine, and we do just this. We just talk. Um, it's called Two Coaches and a Coffee. Uh, but um, your point then was, uh, now I'm going to show my age and my fatigue. What were we just talking about?
0: I was um, talking about taking pride. In, in, yeah, you know.
1: yeah, right. You, get, you know it. So you just talked about your pride in the podcast. It's what we've got to be. So our pride is not just in our job. But in our broader role, which you go back to that thing about leading and engaging the ATS. So, if you're going to stop the war, you've got to go and do something about. It. You've got to take a step and take a pride in being a good leader. And I think that that attitude. I don't think that attitude pervades everybody. I think no. that I think I think we get a lot of people, like you said, there's an arrogance at times. And I don't. It's, arrogance is never warranted. But I think uh, that book you mentioned, I mean, you, you could, young coaches could do to read that stuff for sure.
0: Yeah. The book that he's talking about is John Maxwell, Everybody Communicates, Few Connect. And essentially, the whole point of like one of the big points in the book is if people are falling asleep at your presentation, it's not their fault, it's yours. Like, you actually suck yeah, at presenting, yeah. captivate the audience. And, you know, we read that when I was at Iowa working with the football team because it's like, look, if the athletes don't want to listen to you, Yes, they could be just being jerks. That's always a 100% chance. But what are you actually doing to captivate their attention? And again, it goes back to like, what are you doing to lead your staff? Are you leading them because you actually care? Or are you leading them because, like you said, you want to walk around like, oh, I'm the, you know, tallest, biggest person in the room. Like, come follow me.
1: Yeah, yeah, man, you you make a great point about a communicating piece. Um, and I think what you've got to do is... You've got to move. You've got to change. If you're doing something and you see it's not working, change. Man, I had this really interesting experience recently. So I was doing um, – I was talking to another tech company in the UK and we're on a meeting, you know, we're on a video meeting and we're talking away and he asked me, you know, just pitch. Give me your thing. So I'm talking away and doing my thing and um, it's, I pitched about 200 times. So it's a, it's a good story. And this guy's on the video. I can see him drifting off. He's He's looking around. I'm like, fuck, I'm missing this guy. Like he's got me, like I'm missing. So I kept changing, I'm moving around. I've got more, excited. I'm just getting pumped and I'm firing up and right into it. And he keeps looking like this and he's looking around <laughs> and I finish and I'm like, I'm just cursing myself, going, I've, I've missed him. And anyway, he, he then starts, and I, that was all internal. Anyway, he starts coming back to me and speaking and saying, and speaking, he goes, at the end of it, he goes, Man, that was the best pitch I've ever heard. And I'm like, What? He goes, Yeah, <laughs> man, I've got I've got attention deficit disorder. You really kept me engaged. I'm like, man, you're all drifting off. He goes, No, you were awesome. But I guess the point is, yeah, like you gotta, if you've seen it not happen, make it happen. Like change posture, move. Make do something to engage people, do something different. We've got a team in Australia who who won. Won the AFL this year. And the AFL, I mean, I know it's not a common sport to, to uh, guys in the North America, but it's an amazing sport. Amazing. Like the the amount of, like, like American football, it is unbelievable collisions and the speed unparalleled, unparalleled, but the ability to play for two hours, like not stop, go, like play for two yes. hours nonstop, and carry around 90 kilos and like run 16 kilometers and bash one, like it's amazing. it's amazing in its own right. But this team, their big focus is on communication and how they learn. And their coaches apparently are presenting, when they do team meetings, every team meeting's different. So players are coming in like ready to go, like what's happening? And that's a good thing, it's not like they're nervous, it's like holy shit, what's happening today?
0: Yeah, they're not they, just sitting down like, "Oh, so and so is going to talk to me about this because it's this day."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's two mi- game minus two. This is what we're doing, and they change it up. So that whole logic of, um, you know, engaging people through active listening. So you're looking at what's happening, you're reacting, you're working with a person to get a response. I, mate, I think it's absolutely true. I think you've hit that on the head.
0: And that's where our listeners out there, you got to make sure that that's what you're doing. Again, like Jason said, like, try to utopianly, like make it better, pay it forward, because there was some coach that probably changed your life. And that's how you got into athletics pay that forward to the other coaches you work with, with the athletes you work with, because you never know what that eventual ripple effect will be because that's how you can ultimately start to see the change. And that's why you got into this to make the athletes lives better, make their experience in athletics better, allow them to play their sport because you know, the power within it.
1: Yeah. And you, you, you nailed it. Like you attract people to yourself. People are attracted to positivity. And I'm not saying mate, don't carry on, don't be like a pork chop. Yeah, like, it can't
0: be that fake, like rah-rah nah, rah bullshit. No.
1: No, no. But it's if it's genuine and it's from the heart and it's enthusiastic and it's pumped up, you know, people are gonna get there for it. And if you can speak enthusiastically, if we go back to challenging the the environment around working with people who are a little bit difficult, like other profession stuff, is engage them. Bring them in. One of the things I used to always say to our um physiotherapist. I used to bar them from treating for one hour and make them all come to the gym. That's awesome. As it should be. Like go lift. And come come, yeah, come and lift. Come and hang out. Come and do some stuff. Hey, by the way, this is what this is the exercise we're doing for that kid's glute or whatever it is. Right? Feel it. Understand what it feels like. So you've got some empathy. And I think empathy is a massive thing. Athletic empathy.
0: Athletic empathy. We're gonna end it right there, folks.